Hey guys, today we are talking about disasters, specifically what are disasters, um, both human-made and natural, how it affects people and their communities. So think, first of all, what is a disaster and how would this affect you as a nurse? Um, have you uh, think back to a time. Have you ever experienced a disaster in your lifetime? Now, remember, disasters defined is when your need exceeds your needs exceed your resources. I feel like um, every day living in a household with five children, my needs exceed my resources. So I live in a disaster every day. Just kidding. I'm not trying to minimize um, the effects of disasters, but think of um, when a time maybe that you've seen throughout your life when those needs have exceeded the resources. Disasters can affect one family at a time, like such as a house fire, or they can kill thousands and result in huge economic losses, like in the millions. And that's in also in the cases with like floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, bioterrorism. Um, remember back to Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, it cost $125 billion. And there was over 1,800 1,800 lives lost, 1,836 exactly. So people all over the world are experiencing these unprecedented disasters from both natural to human-made. The number of human-made disasters are increasing, but lives lost are actually decreasing. Um, they, are they are measured in cost, injury, and deaths. There are also many organizations who play specific parts in disasters. Um, nurses play an integrate integral part. So we actually need to be really prepared for this. Um, also, there's a population that is moving to more vulnerable areas, um, bigger cities where there's more man-made disasters, things of that sort. So let's first of all talk about the effects of disasters on people in their communities. Um, all of us have been, you know, living through this COVID-19 pandemic. And how or why would this be considered a disaster? Well, like we talked about just a little bit ago, that the needs exceeded the resources. So in what ways, think of, you know, what ways our needs exceeded our resources. So first of all, one that pops into my head is the ventilators. Ventilators were huge at the beginning of the, of the pandemic and how Everybody was so worried and for good reasons that we didn't have enough hospital beds. We didn't have enough ventilators. It moved on to masks. We didn't have enough masks, even things like toilet paper or hand sanitizer. We didn't have enough nurses. So what effects did this have on people? Well, first of all, panic, right? That's why we, it led to, um, you know, not having enough toilet paper. Also fear. We had hoarding. Um, rebellion. We saw a rebellion in this because people decided they didn't want to wear masks or that they were going to continue having large gatherings despite what was being recommended. We had lives that were lost. People died without family members present, lost jobs. There's economic hardship. Businesses closed down, not just temporarily, but per permanently. Um, children went online for online schooling and we don't know, you know, as of at this point, um, what that long-term, those long-term consequences may be from changing during the shutdown um, to online schooling. Um, there was no high school proms, uh, graduation ceremonies, increased isolation. We saw increased depression, anxiety, suicide. So it affected people in all aspects, both individually and collectively in the community and throughout the, not only the United States, but globally. So let's talk about the four stages of, of the disaster management cycle. 
So the first one is mitigation or prevention. So mitigation is basically when we take action to reduce like the severity of the case in uh, the severity and in this case of disasters. So um, this could be um, re reducing the risks um, such as structural measures. We need to protect buildings and structures from the force of wind and water and other things that could come about from like um, natural disasters. Um, detecting terrorists before they strike, heightened inspections, um, surveillance for disease outbreaks, immunization, isolation, quarantines, um, halting CBRNE threats, which is chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear explosive threats. Um, so these are some types of prevention or mitigation in order to help be prepared for um, a disaster. Now, uh, disaster preparedness, this is the second stage. Um, nurses who, you know, in, in the stage of a disaster or being prepared for disasters, we need to realize that we'll be providing care to people um, that have stress. Stress is going to be one of the biggest things because it's going to affect all people. Not all people will have injuries. Not all people will lose um, you know, their homes or loved ones, but all people are going to experience stress. BSN essential or BSN prepared nurses should be informed about disaster preparedness. Um, it's multifaceted, the preparedness is. Remember, personally, as nurses, we need to be personally prepared, both physically, mentally, um, putting together disaster kits, okay? This is part of our personal preparedness putting together and having our own disaster kits. How many of us have waterproof containers for our, our important documents? What about contingencies with our children or our pets? As far as being professionally prepared, we want to advocate for populations. So perhaps you can think of ways that maybe you advocated during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure many of you received questions uh, from people, especially early on in the pandemic, before everybody became experts <laughs> on what did we think about it and, you know, what do they need to be prepared for? Are people overreacting? Things like that. Um, were you an advocate in, in social distancing or an example to others? Um, did you promote or advocate for... Um, yourself and others to be vaccinated when the, the vaccine was available. Um, we also need to be aware of disaster plans at our workplace. Um, prepare, preparedness core competencies for disaster medicine and public health include bioterrorism, communication plans, etc. Um, as far as community preparedness, um, we, we need to have a coordinated response with multiple stakeholders, such as emergency response plans, um, disaster planning, which includes like backup contingencies, adequate warning and evacuation plans. We need to understand and know what those evacuation plans are in our community. Remember, the level of community preparedness is really only as good as the people and, or, and the organizations who make it up. So we need to have clear roles and we have we need to have adequate warning. We know that adequate warning is going to be huge because we know in things like hurricanes or um, things like that where we have just a bit of warning, we can help prepare others to save themselves, their their item, their fam their personal belongings, and even like pets and family members. Now disaster response, let's talk about that. That's the next stage in the disaster management cycle. Um, so we're going to have a rapid needs assessment. Um, we need to determine the magnitude of this incident, right? 
Um, define the specific needs of the population. So, you know, even things like the basic needs, sanitation, for example, is one of those basic needs that we need to make sure that the, the, the public has. We need to obviously establish priorities and objectives, identify existing and potential public health problems, what is already a problem that we may uh, be concerned with. Um, evaluating, we need to evaluate the capacity of the local response, including resources and logistics. So how prepared is the community um, that is facing this potential disaster or could you know, likely face at some point a disaster? Um, we need to also determine the external resources need for these actions. So what is what, what's actually available to this community? Um, outbreak investigation and surveillance, public health triage. Um, we need to have risk communication and technical skills, be able to communicate with other those around us and be able to um, notify of, you know, outbreaks that are here locally. That's part of those core competencies. Um, we, first of all, we need to identify an in, the increase in people that have familiar signs and symptoms when it comes to like outbreaks, and then we'll identify the agent and then notify those around us, share the information. Um, if you're assigned as a first responder in, in a type of disaster, say such as like a natural disaster, um, then you're, you're going to be participating in triaging these disaster victims. Um, remember that certain populations such as single mothers, children, even like substance abusers, they're going to have the greatest disruption during these disasters. So we need to be aware of that. And then also remember that there are going to be pets. People, Some people will have lost lives trying to save their pets. So this is something that we need to remember um, during those crises and what are we going to do to help um, you know, minimize those, um, the loss of, of loved ones. The last phase of the disaster management cycle is recovery. So after like active participation, um, we need to start making disaster plan modifications. What worked, what didn't work. Um, we need to coordinate efforts to address psychosocial and public health impact. So what, what happened during this disaster and how did it affect the health um, of the, the people in the community? Uh, pain and suffering, the loss of possessions, the injuries, the loss of loved ones, it's, it's, it's immeasurable. Um, there's, there's a phase actually after disaster that has occurred, occurred call, called the honeymoon phase. And this is the time where survivors will share their stories of the disaster. And you'll see that going on after the disaster has occurred. So psychological effects can be different during the recovery phase, especially during, depending on the type of attack. So think of the difference in losing loved ones in an earthquake versus uh, a mass shooting, both tragic, but both very different. And the effects psychologically are very different as well. Um, also, it's important for the nurse to display flexibility in periods of recovery when there's a lot of unknowns and there's changes. We have seen that a lot during the, the pandemic, um, how those that those changes that continue to occur. You know, now we're supposed to wear a mask. Now masks are this. Now we're going to do a vaccine. Now we're, you know, things like that, that just continuously change. And as the pandemic continues to evolve and, and we learn more, then we can see those changes. And that's where flexibility really um, is important. Now, one thing that I can't show to you while we're doing a podcast is um, 
we have like these triage cards that I'd really like for you guys to get to know. I will post some pictures of them in Canvas for you to be able to see. But these are the cards that are shown in different colors that you can see like the red, yellow, green. And it shows us how when we're in a disaster and we're triaging victims, where um, how we can place these tags on individuals that are experiencing um, you know, some type of injury or even death so that nurses can go around and tag these different victims in order to help speed up the process. It helps us to identify who is in the immediate need of help and who, unfortunately, we may have to let go because there's too many victims um, to be able to treat at the same time. So this is where triaging is really important. Um, I will post those in Canvas so that you guys can see those. Please let me know if you have any questions. This is a really interesting topic. I hope you guys will take the time to watch the videos and read your textbook. And let me know if you have any questions. Thanks so much and have a nice week.